The Bible contains many laws from an ancient land and from a long time ago. Some of them are beautiful and some of them are weird. And they strike you as strange the moment you read them. We're going to hear a bit of both in a moment in our Bible reading. So what do we do with the mixture of those two? That's our topic for today. What about all those outdated laws? Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your word, we have an opportunity to listen in, in stillness and to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And so we pray you would speak to each one of us. And we dare to pray it because of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Amen. So Leviticus chapter 19 is our reading for today. You can find it in the church Bible on page 121. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord, your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear the Lord. Fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they are not to be put to death because she had not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance to the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed, and his sin will be forgiven. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. 
Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not ill-treat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Do not use dishonored standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hin. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, do we have to keep all those laws? You might be sitting there thinking, oh goodness, right, right, I've got to pay attention to my vegetable patch and to my um, tattoo markings and to the hair on my head. Do I have to keep all of these laws? And imagine a spectrum, okay, across here. Uh, if you were to sit there thinking, gosh, I've got to keep all of those laws in order to be acceptable in God's sight, then you would be called a legalist. <laughs> that's, that's what we call it in the Bible. So if you, don't worry, you don't have to keep, you're not bound by the Old Testament law in, in the way you seem to think. But um, if you were to take that view, then you, you would think, gosh, I've got to keep all of them to be saved. That's legalism. We don't believe in that. You are free from that because this is a story that leads to Jesus and it's, it's got this great saviour figure in the Bible. However, if you can imagine at the other end of the spectrum, you might be sitting there thinking, fantastic, I don't have to keep any of those laws. This is, this is brilliant because I'm saved by Jesus, I'm free in the Holy Spirit, so why are we even reading that chapter? What a waste of time. Well, um, Jesus says in the Bible, Matthew chapter 5, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law. Okay, so that too is pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus is saying, I don't even want an eye to, a dot to drop off an eye or a cross to drop off a T from the Old Testament law. You, I, I, I want that to stand. All oh, right. Oh, so I can't just forget about the law. So what do we do? There is a word for that. We said that was legalism. This is called, you ready for a long theological word? Antinomianism. Mm. <laughs> uh, that means anti, and nomos means law in Greek, so you're anti-law. If you just sort of, well, sack that all off, I'm not going to pay attention to the law. You're antinomian, and we don't do that because Jesus doesn't do that either. But if then we're not down with legalism and we're not down with antinomianism, then where does that leave you as a Christian? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. Um, it it um, is beautiful, it's complicated, it leaves you with Jesus Christ and it leaves you with the great freedom to, to be a Christian. So, are you interested in that? Joyful freedom as a Christian? Yes, okay. 
fantastic. That's what, that's what we're going to press into a little bit. Thankfully, I think it is as simple as chapter 19, verses 1 and 2 at bottom. Do you see that? If you want to follow, chapter 19, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So if I could say one, one thing to you about this, I'd say, well, the Lord says, and keep saying, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And I know I've said that before, I keep banging on about holiness in, in this series, but I want you to get the order particularly right today. God says, be holy because prior to that, always and forever, I am holy, right? Indeed, he presses the point even further in these chapters. We've kind of got chapters 17 to 25 in view. And in chapter 20, verse 7, we'd like to have a look at that. Chapter 20, verse 7, on the same facing page. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who, what does it say, somebody? Makes you holy, right? And it says a similar thing, uh, end of chapter 20, verse 26. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to, to be my own. So I just want you to notice the order embedded in this simple idea of holiness, right? So God says, I'm holy, I made you holy, so now I want you to be holy. And that sequence is very important. It's like this biblical sequence every time God calls you to do something for him, he invariably says, Old Testament and New Testament, I'm, I'm calling you to this incredibly high standard, but before, before I ask you to do that, I'm, I'm holy and I've made you holy. I've saved you, I've set you apart. You know the story of Israel, they've been taken out of Egypt, they were slaves. He, I said, he said, I want you as my treasured possession. I've already got you out of there, so now I'm going to give you the law and encourage me, you to live for me. If it helps, try and bring it up to date. Um, I, 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 I think there's been this great fairy tale that we have lived through in our generation. Uh, she's called Kate Middleton. <laughs> and does it, does it, I mean, if you're a total Republican, just shut your ears for a minute, okay? But does it not stagger you that a common woman is, is now a princess and is, is going to be the queen? I mean, it's amazing. Our forebears, our ancestors, even our grandparents would have said, that can't happen, but it is happening in front of our eyes. So, yeah, ordinary woman, ordinary human being, uh, has the prince fall in love with her and then they get married and now she's literally a princess and she's going to sit on the throne one day. So think of that as a little gift from God. The, you know, the, the way the Bible talks about uh, God sending Jesus is, as a, is a, as a prince. He's the prince of heaven. He comes down to earth. He says to his ordinary human being people, I love you. Nothing's going to change that. I want to set you apart so that you can be mine. Come and dwell with me. Amazing, but living through a real-life royal family love story, but then we actually situated in a biblical love story. However, I imagine there was probably some conversation that took place behind the scenes. Don't you think William and Kate are dating? It's looking quite serious. Was it the queen, the late queen, who sat her down and said, I believe you're in a relationship with my grandson. If you would like to join this family, then I need you to know that... Certain behaviour is expected of you. You think some, something like this must have happened. Catherine, she might have said, when you go to the corner shop to get a pint of milk, you may not wear your tracksuit bottoms because someone will take a photograph of you and it will discredit the family. You know, something like that. 
Catherine, you will be invited to go to many public events, and when you are at the theatre, you should not slouch, because somebody will take a photo of you, and it will be in the newspapers. Catherine, when you marry my grandson, and God willing, you have children, you may not lose your temper with them in public, tempting though it may be, and you may not shout at a member of staff when, when other people hear it, because it will discredit the family, and someone will record it. I mean, there must have been, mustn't there, some kind of something, I, I, I thank the Lord, I don't have to be involved in that kind of thing. And yet, I imagine the Queen might have finished, and Catherine, my grandson loves you, and he is determined to marry you. So, you will be joining this family, and we will support you. Welcome. So, something, I can imagine the Queen try, pulling off both ends of that conversation, yeah. So, it's a little bit like that, you know, the, the order is the same in biblical holiness, you are welcoming God's family. He has just decided you're going to be part of this. He loves you. And now he is calling you to, to be holy, which is, as we've seen is, is being more like him, being different, set apart. Be holy, because the Lord your God is holy. This comes up again and again in Leviticus. So, uh, you know, last week we looked at the Day of Atonement. And this week we're looking at loads of laws. That's no accident. That's the same order. You know, I have atoned for you, and now I'm calling you to be holy. Uh, this is why Leviticus started. You remember the first word in Leviticus in Hebrew is, and God called? Do you remember that from weeks ago? So that's the same sequence here. God is calling to you from his dwelling place, and part of what he's going to say is, I've made you holy, now come and be holy. It's why, of course, they're receiving this law in the deserts, because God has already geographically he's brought them out of there, and now he's calling them to, to be holy. I've put an outline of chapters 17 to 25 on your sheet, so if you would like to know the fullness of these chapters, then it's there for you. Chapters 17 to 25 are in view today. You've got 17 to 20, holiness for everyone. Chapters 21 to 22, that's holiness for priests. And chapters 23 to 25, that is holy days for assembling. However, I decided that, well, that really would be too much to, uh, to, to cover. So I'm going to limit myself to chapter 19 for a few moments. I'm just going to try and choose chapter 19 as like a representative portion of that swathe of scripture. And I'm going to give you two ifs and a when. Just while we have a few moments together. I put them here on my flip chart. Can you see this? I think my orange pen is not my best for color contrast, so for, forgive me. But first, firstly, if, if it's a moral law, then try and keep it. Secondly, if it's alien, then try and find the principle within it. And thirdly, when you despair, come to Jesus. What I'm trying to do is give you a Christian uh, approach to reading Old Testament law. So I'm trying to look across all the chapters today and take chapter 19 as an example. Ready? Okay. I am, um, because this is complex and there's more than I can possibly say, I'm going to be around afterwards. We'll do a little question and answer time. If anyone wants to come and ask a question, then I'll be around afterwards. We could do that. First thing then. If you can keep the moral law, keep it. I say law singular, that's kind of the way Christians often talk about the laws. There's just a lot of laws in the Bible. But if I say the law, capital L, L-A-W, 
then that's what I mean, okay, the law. And this, this is wonderful because it's the simplest of all of them. So let me give you a few examples. If you can keep a moral law in the Old Testament, just keep it. For example, chapter 19, verse 3. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. They are just the fifth and the fourth commandments restated in another part of the Bible, right? So I imagine no one's got any problems with those. Fantastic. Society works better if we generally respect our parents. Society works better if people aren't at work the whole time, but they just get a day off, and um, if we can worship on that day. So if you can keep the moral law, keep it. There are some more examples in the chapter. So see verse 11. Do not steal. Do not lie. They are the eighth and the ninth commandments with a wraparound summary thrown in. Don't deceive one another. The children are in junior church today and they're learning the tenth commandment, which is, anybody? Do not covet. Yes, yeah, exactly. And some of you are doing the hand actions that um, the the junior church team have taught them. Do not covet. And I'm interested very very much to see how that goes. I mean, it's been a fascinating series. Had a a great conversation with one of the kids in junior church recently where they were talking about how long they could go without breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Very interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I wonder what you would say. The, The child I was speaking to reckoned five weeks. (laughs) <laughs> five, five weeks I, I, ah, it's good that you've come up with a concrete figure and then we talked about coveting could you go for five weeks without being greedy for anything mm. could you go for five weeks without lying at all or being deceptive mm. could you go for five weeks without dishonouring your parents ooh <laughs> so uh, yeah but, but they're good laws right so if, if you can possibly keep the ten commandments or the moral laws keep them they're there for good. And most societies have recognised the Ten Commandments as good laws. We're a Church of England church, as you probably know. And um, traditionally, every time you have communion in the Church of England, in the traditional order of service, the pastor reads out the Ten Commandments near the beginning of the service. So uh, he would read it one out, and then the whole congregation would say this phrase, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law which is a condensed summary of what the church has always taught about the law. So, Lord, have, have mercy on me. I can't keep the Ten Commandments. And incline our hearts to keep this law. I, I recognize the goodness in this law. I want to be able to keep it, so please help me. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. I've just found that an incredibly helpful little phrase that has been passed down through the generations. Do you want to, in order to embed it, do you want to have a go? I'm going to read you a bit of verse 11 two commandments and then you're, you're going to repeat that phrase Lord have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law St. Paul's do not steal Lord have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law do not lie Lord have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law We haven't got time for the other chapters, as I said, but in chapters 18 and chapter 20, they are largely made up of moral laws, which sort of seem to be unchanging moral standards down the generations. They concern the whole of life, particularly sexual ethics, though, chapters 18 and 20 in Leviticus are concerned with. So it tells you not to sleep with someone who is your brother or your sister, your uncle or your aunt, your neighbor's wife, someone who is the same gender as you, 
or a creature who is an animal. These are all moral laws that it, it seems like in the Bible, if it's a moral law and you can keep it, you should keep it. And as a basic rule of thumb, it seems like if, if it's restated in the New Testament, that's, that's a moral law that we should keep trying to obey. So that's the first one. Secondly, if it's alien, find the principle within it. Okay. What I mean by alien, if, it's, if it sounds bonkers to you, if it's strange, if you read it and think, what? Then that, that's a sign. It, it literally comes from an alien land. You know, it's from a different country 2,000 years ago. It, um, so it's like leading, reading a different country's law code a long time later. So it sounds alien. And some of these are civic laws for ancient Israel. But see if you can not discard it, but look for the kernel, the, the principle in it. For instance, chapter 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. Does anybody own a vineyard? No, shame. Uh, uh, does anybody own a field? Probably not, because we live in London, right? So that's not really our thing. So it's hard for you to keep that law. You know, I can't do that. It's because it's kind of alien to me and my culture. Well, see if you can discern the principle within it. And the principle here is, is wonderful and beautiful. When you're harvesting, you don't need every grape for your basket. Just leave some on the floor. And that, that would allow the poor people of the village to come by. It gave them dignity because they were allowed to pick them up themselves. But it also gave them food. Similarly with your grain field, just you don't need to squeeze the margin right to the edge of the field. Maybe the equivalent today is, you know, when you go to the supermarket and you've got to the checkout and um, you're buying your food, and then they often have like a basket or a, um, a bin that is donations. What a, what a wonderful way to get the principle out of this law and put it into practice. You take, the, take a packet of spaghetti out of your basket and just put it straight in there so that somebody else who doesn't have as much as you could gain from it. Amazing. Maybe you're one of those people who very kindly puts uh, shampoo or shower gel or tampons in the hygiene bank yellow box at the back. That's an ama amazing way to just put some of this into practice. I'm just going to give away a little bit to people who don't have as much as me. And by the way, if you can get good at this, if you can find the principle within the ancient law, you, you'll be very good at lobbying, advocacy, justice. Because you, you, could, you could talk to people in power and say, look, Look, I can, there's this principle that's been around for millennia in society. Can we put a bit of that into practice in our culture in this way or that way? That's a skill. Another example, verse 19. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. I think the principle here is that God has assigned categories and boundaries in the natural world and we get to enjoy them, but not mess with them. I personally would be happy to wear a, a shirt that's made out of both polyester and cotton. I don't think I'm, I'm bound to, I don't have to obey this law to be saved. However, I think it makes me cautious about genetic modification or about running headlong into things that um, fuse the boundaries of what God has made because God is the creator of all. A 
told you we might need a Q&A for all this sort of stuff. Okay, but you see, you see where I'm getting at. I'm trying to discern the principle within these things. Verse 27, another example. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. You've seen the Orthodox Jews in London? Very long bits just out of their temple. That's because they're obeying this law. They're trying to obey it in order to be saved. Or verse 28, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. It seems like these verses, 26 to 31, they, they, all were, they were Canaanite practices. So the, the Canaanite people who were living in the land, they, they uh, habitually shaved their head, lots of tattoos, lots of um, self-harming cut marks as they went about their Canaanite worship and other practices listed here too. And so it seems like um, Leviticus is articulating the flip side. Principle. Are you behaving the way you do? Are you dressing? Are you cutting your hair? Having tattoos the way you do? because everyone else around you is doing it. Because that's fitting in with the Canaanites. Whereas if you're, if, you're, if you're living a life in worship for God and you've thought about the way your, your hair, your skin, your practices are, then that's good, that's what I want, that's holiness. I think that's the principle at work here. Uh, and uh, final example under this second point. Um, in chapter 20... There are, okay, there are some severe punishments in chapter 20. I'm, I'm not going to read them now for, um, for the sake of time, but it's, it's strong, including the death penalty. In those cases, I would want to discern the principle, like we read earlier on chapter 20, verse 23. That the principle is, uh, don't be like the other nations. God is calling you to be different. In particular, there are so many sexual examples given. The, the, the nations around Israel, they were just having sex with whoever and whatever they wanted. So the principle in those chapters seems to be, don't do that. God is calling you to a holiness which is different from all the people around you. But I would say we, we don't punish people the way ancient Israel punished people. Okay? I think that's important. Uh, so we're finding the principle within it. We're not obeying the same civic code of punishments that they had. So if it's alien, we're saying find the principle within it. And then thirdly, when you despair... Come to Jesus. This is, this is the, the best and the crowning moment of the sermon and indeed of the whole Bible. The Apostle James puts it beautifully in the New Testament. Would you like to turn with me, James chapter 2, page 1214? James chapter 2, starting at verse 8. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Notice the little bit of Leviticus there. That's a, lifting that straight out of Leviticus 19. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Just pause there. You notice the way he puts it is, is amazing. If you keep the royal law found in scripture, so he's saying love your neighbor, he calls it a royal law which I think gives you permission. And Jesus does this, Matthew 23, 23. He talks about the weightier matters of the law. So Jesus and James, they give you permission to say, some laws are like giants. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's like a massive, perpetual giant of a law. Some laws are a bit like midgets, you know, like um, vegetable patches and, and things like that. And Jesus and James, they give you permission to distinguish. One of these is really weighty and one of these is a bit 
smaller. But James says, okay, the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, that's the right thing to do. However, verse nine, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Hmm. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So you see, it's, it's very good news. You're free to concentrate on the giant royal laws, but it's also very bad news, because if you break it on one point, you break one of the Ten Commandments, you've become a lawbreaker. So you see, the, the law is part of the story of the Bible, and it just drives you to Jesus eventually. Like it just, it just, it just, you have to get there, otherwise you just despair of yourself. I can't keep this. So it gets you to Jesus in a wonderful way. Indeed, James sums up, speak and act, verse 12, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. And Jesus gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And Jesus gives mercy. A Christian lives not ultimately under the law of Leviticus. You're not bound by that law and trying to keep it to be saved. But you live under the law of Christ and under his authority. So you're bound by Christ. He saves you and cause you to live differently. I like the way an old pastor put it, Samuel Bolton. He, he said, okay, the law, the Old Testament law, it chains the wolf, but, but Jesus changes the wolf. Get, get the hang of that? So the, the law is good, so, and, and, the, and the Bible never, never condemns it, but it's a bit like you're a wolf with a sinful nature inside you, and you've just got a chain around your neck. It's chaining you to a post, so that you can't get that. You can't do too much evil, because there are laws against it. You know, you, you know that it's wrong, but you're still a wolf. And yet, Jesus changes the wolf, so he comes along and he says, look, I love you, you're going to be mine, I'm going to take your heart of stone, give your heart of flesh, I'm going to change you. And that's the economy of God. That's what he's interested in. I was speaking to someone at church uh, only last week who said wonderfully that their private life used to be totally different. But since they encountered Jesus, they just they want to live differently. They, they want to keep the law. <gasps> Isn't that amazing? I, just, I sat there listening thinking, that's amazing because uh, I didn't force you to do that. I don't think anyone else at church forced you to do that. That's just... that's. Changing the wolf, if you like, from within. So when you despair of keeping the law, come to Jesus. That's where God wants you to be. Last couple of minutes. Um, what does it mean very practically? Because this has been a very practical chapter, hasn't it? So I don't want to leave it in the abstract. Well, I keep saying to you, and it says again, Leviticus 19 verse 2, be holy. God is calling us as a church to holiness. It's a bit like a fairy tale with a princess, but it's actually real life, sealed with real blood. So maybe on your supermarket trips, that, that ought to be different, actually, now that you've read Leviticus 19. Maybe you, you could remember the poor when you hear the beep at the checkout, or when you're paying the wages of the people in your company. Maybe your Sabbaths do need to change, because God is interested in your day of rest, in your day of worship. Perhaps you need to just respect the commandment, stop saying yes to other commitments on a Sunday, just commit to being at church with God's people. Maybe your mother and father have not been respected <clears throat> and it would be good if you phoned them this afternoon if you possibly can and 
in some way that's appropriate to your context, we're able to respect them. Maybe you have been lying to somebody at work or at home and you need to stop it and you need to tell the truth. You could set up a meeting with them so that it can happen tomorrow or this week. Maybe you realize actually your, your hair, your clothing, your tattoos, they're kind of all the same as the people around me. I've just been doing what, what people around me have been doing. Well, today is a good day for you to think, how do I want to dress? How do I want to adorn myself for the glory of God for the rest of my life? Maybe, maybe I just lost you when I said the word antinomian earlier on and the rest of it's been a blur. I sympathize. Okay, but um, Jesus is Lord, okay? And... Uh, if you hear me, hear this one thing, right? Christians tend to dislike the law. They want a less law and they love Jesus. But Jesus refuses that kind of binary. He says, well, I love the law and I'm Jesus, okay? So he actually loves and embodies the law. He is the word of God. So he, turned, he wants to turn you to see the inner wolf inside you. It's okay. You can look inside because he's not going to abandon you. All the ways you've broken the law, it's okay because he's still with you. So if there's a law here today that you just don't want to be there, like, oh, because it, it smashes right up against you, you can look at it, maybe make a note of it. Why not ask God to incline your heart to keep this law? Because the unchanging, the exciting, the daunting, the blood-bought gospel of God says, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Let's pray together, shall we? I'm going to invite you to repeat that phrase that we did earlier on. Do you remember? Lord, have mercy upon me and incline my heart to keep this law. Okay, so if you would like to, then that, we're going to wrap our time together up with that prayer. Father, we hear you calling us to holiness because you, the Lord our God, are holy and you have made us holy. So, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law.